Thank you, John, for that prayer this morning. I really appreciate it. Before we get into the text this morning, I do want to mention just briefly, uh, and we've been emphasizing this throughout the month or and, and before that, that we need to really make sure that all of us get out and vote. That's important, but especially that we vote no on Proposal 3. And I just, I've said a lot about it. There's, it's been in the bulletin and will continue to be. But I just want, just to remind everyone, it's not like you have between now and Election Day. Early voting has already started in Michigan. So the, we need to keep getting the message out. People are already voting and so don't think that we have a lot of time to con convey this message. Well, as Pastor Chad mentioned, I am preaching on the resurrection. I will be preaching on parts two and three of the resurrection of Jesus this week and next week as part of local evangelism month. And then on the 23rd, Pastor Chad is going to be preaching again. And then on the 30th, we'll have our Beacon of Hope presentation. Cindy Thalen will share that with us. But this week and next week, I want us to see not only are we continuing in the Gospel of John, but how important the resurrection is to our evangelistic message, how important it is and obviously essential to the Gospel. Folks, one of the things we just need to keep coming back the testimony of the grave clothes was so powerful that John believed Jesus was alive just by looking at the grave clothes. Well, Peter and John leave. Mary went to tell them she's now come back. Mary Magdalene has come back to the tomb. And we're going to look this morning at John chapter 20 and verses 11 through 23. And it says this, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the to into the tomb, excuse me, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, "Woman, why are you weeping?" She said to them, "They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him." Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned. And said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of them, or excuse me, for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. 
As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. They are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Well, our first point this morning is Mary Magdalene. Mary returns to the empty tomb of Jesus, and she is overwhelmed with sorrow. Verse 11 said, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. The word weeping here does not mean that she was just mildly crying or sniffling. It means an emotional sobbing. She was crying. She was bawling her eyes out. She was in a great emotional state of weeping outside the tomb. And she had looked in before because she is the one who went and told Peter and John the tomb is empty. I don't know what they've done with Jesus. And so she stoops in to look again. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. She looks in there, and there are two angels. And the Gospel of John says they are two angels dressed in white. We should not be surprised. At the birth of Jesus, angels were very prevalent. The resurrection of Jesus. Angels are very prevalent. They are God's messengers. They are there when significant events and announcements take place. They're dressed in white. Why are they dressed in white? They're dressed in white to represent the holiness of God. And some have suggested the fact that they're dressed in white is because they have come to announce that there is victory in Jesus, that life has conquered death, that light has conquered darkness, that grace has conquered sin. And so they sit there, and I want you to notice, I want you to notice oh so carefully based on what we looked at two weeks ago. There's one at the head and one at the feet. Why? Because the grave clothes are in between. The grave clothes, as I said, are a powerful testimony that Jesus is not there and he is alive. And so one sits at the head and one sits at the feet. Because they are testifying. Look at the grave clothes. Jesus is alive. They said to her, woman, verse 13, woman, why are you weeping? She said to him, She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. In essence, they are saying to her, woman, why are you weeping? This is not a time for weeping. This is a time for joy. This is a time for celebration. Jesus is alive. Some of the other women the Bible records in the Gospel of Luke see two other angels, and you may recall this, and these two other angels say to those women, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And in essence, that's what they're saying to Mary. Why are you weeping? And I think Mary is just absolutely overcome with sorrow. 
And she says, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. You know what's really interesting here, and it's one of the only times this is recorded in the New Testament, in fact, in all of the Bible, we have no record that Mary is startled to see the two angels. I think she is so overcome with weeping, so overcome with sorrow, that she just talks to them. Because the other women who saw the other two angels, in Luke it says, they were so startled they fell on the ground. And that's what happens in most instances when people see angels is they're startled. They're scared. And a lot of times they fall down, but not here with Mary. Well, when Mary turns away from looking in the tomb, she sees a man standing right next to her. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where have you tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. She turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. How come she didn't know it was Jesus? It's a fascinating question. Why didn't she know it was Jesus? Let me give you some thoughts. There are more than this, probably, but let me give you just some basic thoughts. Number one, Mary was looking for a dead body. She was looking for a corpse. She had come to anoint the body. She wasn't looking for someone who was alive. Secondly, and perhaps most importantly, Jesus is now in his resurrection body. I don't understand this fully. It's still Jesus. He's in the same body in which he died. But he looks different. He looks different. We don't know what that is. We may not know until we get to heaven. But he looks different. And so she doesn't immediately recognize him. We know this is true. Because in chapter 20, we're going to see that some of the disciples were out fishing and Jesus is on the shore and asks them, you know, if they've caught any fish. And they didn't recognize him at first. We know this from Luke chapter 24 because the two disciples on the road to Emmaus walk with Jesus and they don't know it's Jesus until later when they're breaking bread and he reveals, them, reveals himself to them. So there's something about his resurrection body. Thirdly, she immediately thinks he's the gardener. At this particular time in history, where there were tombs, they were usually in a garden, and the gardener would tend the garden and tend to the tombs. We have something very much like this today, and we, we call it a sexton. A sexton is the person, could be a man or a woman, at a cemetery who cares for the cemetery, cares for the graves. And so this is like the sexton. This is like the gardener. Or, I mean, in, in that this time it was a gardener who cared for the graves, and so she immediately thinks it's the gardener, and she said, thinks maybe he's taken the body away. Well, then we come to verse 16. Absolutely crucial verse. Absolutely crucial verse in this passage. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Folks, I want us this morning somehow, some way to enter into how emotional this is. We cannot this morning remain stoic and unmoved at a passage like this. 
Jesus says Mary. Some translations have Miriam, her Hebrew name. Miriam. She knows immediately by his voice that it's Jesus. If you've been with us through the Gospel of John, this will immediately take you back to John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They listen to my voice. We talked in John chapter 10 how it is common. You hear these stories throughout history, especially in areas of the world where sheep herding is very common, that sheep actually know the voice of the shepherd. And they will not recognize any other voice. They, they recognize the voice of their shepherd. And when Jesus says, Mary, she knows it's Jesus. By saying her name and the way he said it, she knew it was him. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which means teacher, rabbi, Lord. And she is absolutely Thrilled. Verse 17, another crucial verse here. And again, I want us to see the emotion of verse 17. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus said, Mary, don't cling to me. Why did he say that? Because she's hugging him. For all it's worth. I mean, she is hugging him, I believe, as hard as she has ever hugged anyone in her entire life. And I personally believe she's probably on her knees, hugging his legs. Teacher. Rabbi. Lord. And he's like, Mary. Mary, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Folks, this is an important verse, very important verse. It's also a very commonly misinterpreted verse. And part of the reason that this verse has been misinterpreted is because of the King, the King James translation. In the King James translation, it has Jesus saying to Mary, touch me not. Touch me not. I'm not criticizing the King James Version. I believe God has used it mightily over the course of church history. But I'm just going to quote John MacArthur here in his sermon on this passage. He said, this is just a very poor translation on the part of the King James Version. The translation is not touch me, not it is don't cling to me, don't grasp me. You know what it literally means? Don't hold me so tight. He's not saying touch me, not. You can't touch me. So, over the years, because of the King James translation, some people have said, well, Jesus says, don't touch me, because he's not yet in his resurrected body. He still needs to go to heaven and get his resurrected body. Folks, that's not what's happening here. It's not at all what's happening here. Jesus is already in his resurrected body. What is he saying to Mary? He is saying to this, and notice what he says, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, Mary. Don't cling to me because I have to go back to the Father. Things aren't going to be the way they have been. Do you see what Mary's doing? She's thrilled. She's like, Jesus, you're going to live among us again. You're going to teach us. You're going to be around us. And Jesus is saying, no, Mary. No, I'm going to go to the Father. I'm going to send the Helper. 
the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, the Comforter. And I'm going to come to live in you by means of the Holy Spirit. Mary, it's not going to be like it was. It's going to be much better. Don't cling to me, Mary, because everything's about to be different. And notice what he says next. He says, but go to my brothers. Side note here is the first time he calls the disciples his brothers, which will become very significant in the writing of the apostles in the epistles in the New Testament. That's a whole nother thought in itself. But he says, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Go tell the disciples because they'll know. You see, folks, this is the beauty of studying a whole book of the Bible. Rather than just studying it in isolated passages, we studied this in John chapters 14, 15, and 16, especially in the upper room discourse. Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to go away, and I'm going to send the helper. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to come and live in you, and by means of the Holy Spirit, I will come and live in you. Go tell the disciples, go tell my brothers, because they'll know. I just told them this. I just told them when we were together in the upper room, it's a beautiful thing. Go tell them it's all happening. It's all happening just as I said it was going to. I'm going to go to the Father, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 18, Mary Magdalene went out, or she went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. I believe she's a changed woman. She is filled with excitement. I have seen him. I have touched him. I have held him. Folks, that's how this relates to our witness for Christ. We are witnessing about a real and living Savior that we know in a real and personal way who lives in, within us, who we walk with and talk with every day. This isn't some cold, hard facts that we share with people. This is about a resurrected and living Savior. Come to know him like I know him. He will save you. He will live within you. He will be with you. He will walk with you and talk with you every day. Well, our second point this morning is the disciples. The disciples are locked in a locked room when Jesus suddenly and without warning comes and stands among them. In verse 19, it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And notice what it says. It doesn't say it's just the first day of the week. It says on the evening of that day. What day? The day they found the tomb empty. The day that Peter and John ran into the tomb. The day that he appeared to Mary Magdalene. Also, if we were to put the four Gospels together, that same day he had appeared on the road to Emmaus to two disciples. On that day, it's the same day. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. We fully understand why the disciples are afraid. They had just seen their master, their Lord, brutally, viciously beaten and crucified. They knew the anger and hostility of the Jewish religious leaders toward Jesus. 
They knew it was a strong possibility they were coming for them. All kinds of things were happening, so they probably get together in this particular room, and they got the doors locked. Now, if we were to put all four Gospels together, I personally think there's more than just the disciples here. I believe Mary Magdalene's there. Maybe some of the other women. I think the two disciples on the road to Emmaus are there because after Jesus revealed himself to them, it said they went and told the disciples what they had seen. And so they're all there, and Jesus came and stood among them. How did Jesus come and stand among them when the doors were locked? He just did. He's in his resurrection body. He cannot just walk through walls. He can go anywhere he wants to go. Transport himself anywhere he wants to. Things are different now. Jesus is in a real resurrection body, and he suddenly appears before them. And he says, peace be with you. Now, I think he says, peace be with you, because they were frightened. I mean, they were shook up. I mean, all of a sudden, Jesus is there alive in his body. Now, it's interesting. And, of course, Jesus is their peace. It is a reminder of that. It's amazing how liberal theologians, we saw this with the grave clothes, and we see it here. Liberal theologians try to dismiss this, say it really didn't happen. I mean, actually, this is one of the theories, is that Jesus was hiding in a closet, and he just picked the right time to pop out and say, peace be with you. The most common theory among liberal theologians is that Jesus wasn't in an actual body. He was just a ghost. Jesus, the ghost, appeared before them. But we will see in the very next verse and in next week's passage, that that can't be true at all. Verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. He shows them his hands and his side. Folks, Jesus, and I mentioned this two weeks ago, it is absolutely critical to the gospel that Jesus is raised from the dead in the very same body in which he died. He is raised from the dead in the very same body in which he died. Not a different body, the very same body. He doesn't have a different body. His body is glorified. And when we die someday, eventually, our bodies will be resurrected and we will be in glory with the resurrected body. These bodies will be the same bodies in which we are glorified and resurrected. And so it is with Jesus. This verse 20 begs the question. He shows them his hands, shows them his side. He's going to do that with Thomas next week because Thomas isn't here right now. So the question comes up. Why does Jesus have his scars in his resurrected body? Isn't it a perfect body? It is. Now when we have our perfect resurrected bodies, I fully believe all of our blemishes, disabilities, um, all of the, any wounds we have will be done away with, but not so with Jesus, and he's the only one. He carries his scars 
for all eternity. He is the only one. If you want some further evidence of that, go to Revelation chapter 5. Because when Jesus appears in Revelation 5, everybody cries out, it's the slain lamb of God. The angels, the 24 elders, the four living creatures, praise him. Worthy is the lamb who was what? Slain. He is always and forever the slain lamb. And you can touch him. And you can touch him. Because he is alive in a very real body. Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This is the Great Commission. This is Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He starts with, Peace be with you again. I am your peace. I will always be with you. Peace be with you, my brothers and sisters. And just as the Father has sent me, I send you, and so he is sending us. We continue to be the sent ones who proclaim the gospel in our community and to the ends of the earth. And then in verses 22 and 23, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. For if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now I want to spend just a minute here because these two verses have often been misunderstood. First question that comes up is verse 22. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Some people get confused by this. Doesn't the Holy Spirit come in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost? Isn't that when the tongues of fire come down from heaven and they receive the Holy Spirit? So why are they receiving the Holy Spirit here? It's a good question. It's a good question. I'm going to explain this to you the best I can. Translation here should really be, and when he had said this, Jesus breathed. The two words on them are not actually in the original text. They are what are called implied or inferred translation words to make the text understandable. But they are not actually there. It literally says, and when he had said this, he breathed and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. I studied this out a lot. You can study it on your own. You don't have to take my word for it. I believe what Jesus is saying here, the Holy Spirit is coming soon. He breathed and said, you are soon to receive the Holy Spirit. It's coming. It's coming. And then, and then, when you receive the Holy Spirit, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What does he mean by that? Can I just go around and say, you're forgiven and you're not, and you're forgiven and you're not? No, that's not what he's saying at all. I believe this is the gospel. Right here is the gospel. As you proclaim a resurrected and living Savior, as you share with people repentance and the forgiveness of sins, when you share the gospel with people and they come to know Christ as Savior, if, if you share the gospel and someone invites Jesus to come into their life, 
you can say to them, your sins are forgiven based on the word of God and the authority of Scripture. Your sins are now forgiven. Likewise, if someone outright rejects the gospel, you can say to them in love and compassion, and yet in full truth, your sins are not forgiven. They're not forgiven. You will have that authority when the Holy Spirit comes, Acts 1-8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Hasn't happened yet. But it will. It will. I loved what one writer said. He said, imagine if this weren't true. Imagine if verse 23 isn't true. So you share the gospel with someone, and they ask Jesus to come into their life and be their Savior. And then they say to you, am I forgiven? And you say, I don't know. I guess you'll have to wait till you die to find out. Wow, there's real assurance. No. That's not how we share the gospel. We can say, you are forgiven. Because you've asked Jesus to come into your life and be your Savior, you are forgiven. And if they reject the, the gospel, you can say, you are not forgiven. I want to end this morning with this thought. I want to make this so real, so personal to us. The very first person that Jesus appears to after he rises from the dead is Mary Magdalene. Have you ever thought about that? Before the road to Emmaus, before the disciples, first person Jesus ever appears to after he rises from the dead is Mary Magdalene. She's a woman. So many people say the Bible is degrading to women. The Bible puts women down. No, it doesn't. That is so untrue. The Bible treats women with great dignity and respect and honor. Jesus treated women as precious and important in his ministry to the gospel, to every area of life. This is a woman out of whom Jesus had cast seven demons. She had led a very sinful life. She was not an apostle. She had no prime place in the ministry. But Jesus appears to her to show his personal love and faithfulness to one of his most loyal and loving disciples, no matter how insignificant or unworthy the world may have seen her. And it is a powerful powerful lesson. You know, we would think, you would think that Jesus' first appearance would have been to Peter or to John or to one of the other apostles. But instead, he picks out the one who loved him so dearly, maybe more deeply than any, because she had been forgiven of so much. And he appears to her to show to all of us his deep love and faithfulness to those who are his. Folks, this is the kind of God we have. This is the kind of Christ that we have. He isn't aloof and indifferent, but he comes down to our level, feels what we feel, and loves us, and loves us on a personal and individual basis. And so Mary Magdalene is the first one to see the risen Savior. And it's so important because it shows us that Jesus' primary concern was to show love and faithfulness to those who were his own. 
So beyond operating the universe, beyond upholding all things by the power of his hand, beyond commissioning the disciples, beyond all the other things that he had to take care of before he ascended, the first thing he does, the very first thing he does is show his love to Mary. And in essence, to remind us, every single one of us, how much he loves you and how he meets you in your need. Folks, this is the Jesus that people are longing for. There are so many people hurting out there. There are so many wounded people. Those, there are so many people suffering from past trauma. They need to know that there is a Jesus who loves them. Yes, we tell them about sin and judgment. Yes, we do. But don't, don't ever forget to tell them how much God loves them and wants to come to them and save them. That is what evangelism is about. We're going to sing in just a few minutes, Come People of the Risen King. That's who we are. That's who Mary is. That's who the disciples are. And that's who we are. We are the people of the risen and living Savior. And let's tell everybody about how amazing and beautiful and wonderful he is. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that all of us who know you as Savior are the people of the risen King. Thank you for your compassion and deep love for all of us, no matter who we are, no matter what our past background may be. Lord, convict people this morning that doesn't matter what their past is. You love them and you want to save them. We praise you because you are the gentle shepherd, the one who fully identifies with the meek and the lowly. We praise you because each day you are real and personal to every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.